All right. Well, Gina Chevalier, welcome to our very first podcast of 2020. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure, Spencer. Always a pleasure to see you and uh, to be here on the podcast. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Nori Ehrenfeld. Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming. Hello, Nori. So for those of you who are tuning in, Gina is a very well-respected and very well-known probate estate lawyer. I've known her for a long time. I've had the privilege of working side-by-side -side with her, uh, both on cases and at the Camilla's house, where we uh, run a pro bono legal clinic together. Um, Gina, how are you surviving during this crazy, crazy pandemic? Well, uh, you know, I'm just staying calm, keeping my clients informed and helping them with everything they need. Thankfully, you know, the probate court is still working with us. They're working remotely. Everyone's working remotely. We're getting our orders signed. The relationships that we've built with other attorneys and with the uh, probate court over the years has really paid off. We're able to get um, things moving. Granted, not as quickly as, as other times, but we are moving forward uh, on most of our cases. So well, that's been very helpful. Well, that's awesome. One, one of the reasons, Gina, we wanted you to be our first guest this year, it's, it's one, because we love you, but also because we felt that given what's happening now, um, probably the most important advice that a lot of people can get is what to do in the event that, God forbid, uh, a loved one or themselves are in a you know, fatal situation with this virus. And uh, what advice could you give people out there? Uh, what can they do now to protect their rights and protect their property and protect and make sure their loved ones are properly taken care of? So the first thing I would do is, you know, if somebody gets ill or even before they get ill, is take a look at your documents, your estate planning documents, see if you have that in place. Um, make sure that you have a listing of all of your financial assets for, for somebody to be able to determine and quickly get their hands on, on that information. Life insurance policies, um, anything uh, related to uh, your business, there should be a single repository or a single area where you can designate that somebody can go look and find out information. Like, do I have a safety deposit box? Do, um, you know, how many life insurance policies do I have? Do I have any mortgages outstanding? All of that should be, should be listed somewhere. And then make sure that your uh, documents are in place, that you have your will, that you have your trust, if you have a trust, um, that you have advanced directives, you know, things that are saying how you wanna be taken care of during the situation. At what point do you want to tell your, your family members, okay, I'm not gonna put you through this any longer. If there's no hope, please you know, do not continue to try and uh, resuscitate me. There are you know, many different things that can be put in place to make sure that your family members know how you want to be taken care of during your life. And normally, you know, this is a conversation that I would have with clients face to face, but these days we're not able to do that. And some attorneys are thinking that we can't even sign documents, but actually we can get these things done. I have a, a special procedure in place now for people to be able to do that. Okay, and we definitely want to make sure that we share contact information, but let me ask a couple more questions. Say, for instance, you, you have a family member that has nothing. I have no will. I have no directives. I have no life insurance. I own no property. Um, what, what, what do you recommend under those circumstances? So in those circumstances, at a minimum, you know, they should either A, express their wishes to their family so that they know what, what, I want done. You know, I have no property. I have no assets. They must have at least a bank account, you know, 
Make sure that your bank account um, has a uh, beneficiary designation on there. And if it doesn't, then you're going to need, you know, you're going to need to determine whether you want to draft a will for that bank account. It's not my recommendation. My recommendation would be go to your bank um, or contact your banker and see if they can send you the forms via uh, email or uh, postal mail and you fill out the forms and you send it back to them with the appropriate ID so that they can um, then designate, you know, you can write in there who's your primary beneficiary, who's your secondary beneficiary. One thing that a lot of people don't think about is, okay, I, I put my spouse as the beneficiary or I put my kids as the beneficiary, but what happens if your spouse or your kid also, you know, is affected by this and they pass away? You need an alternate. You need, um, you know, you need somebody else. Unfortunately, with this uh, situation, you never know who can uh, contract it and, and what the results of, you know, whether they'll, it'll be fatal or not. And Gina, what do you recommend for somebody who has a loved one who's already incapacitated? You know, the grandmother's already on a ventilator at, at Baptist. Um, what, what do you do in those circumstances? So we have specific procedures for, um, for preparing documents for somebody that's in a facility. But if the person is not conscious, then that will be very difficult. And getting, um, if they're in a medical facility like a hospital, it's a little more difficult to get the um, to to get the nursing staff or you know the medical staff there to help us by because they're the only ones that are allowed in the rooms at this time. So that's that's part of our problem um, that they would need to do like a Zoom video uh, for me to be able to determine what it is that this person needs or wants. Um, if if we can't get that done, which very likely if they're at that point that they're on a ventilator and they're in the hospital, it's going to be very difficult to, um, to draft anything for them. But we can take a, a review. I mean, we can analyze and see what it is that they have in their own name, you know, in the individual's name that's in the hospital and see what we might be able to do. Maybe somebody's on joint on that account. Maybe there's some other ways that we can fix that, um, before the person passes away. And if not, then unfortunately we'll have to go through the probate process. And, um, and that, you know, that process can be, um, it can be a little painful with everything else that you're dealing with, but um, it's good to have a, an attorney to guide you through it. Most probate processes will require an attorney. Very few do not, but the probate process would then, you know, we would have to, to look at that and get the death certificate and start that process, which obviously the family would want to mourn a little bit, I, I would assume. And then, you know, there's usually not a rush, you know, right after somebody passes away to get the probate done. It's, you know, usually wait at least a couple of weeks. My co-host has a question. Um, are there like any limitations back to like the hypothetical of if a client is in like critical condition as to like how much of what they say do you, fully like value you know what i mean like if, if somebody's like, yes serious. so great question so i think you're asking about whether they're they have capacity to be able to tell me what you know to express to really express their wishes yeah. so yes that does that does make a difference you know you have to see what medications they're on you have to see what their diagnosis is let's say you have somebody that's in the hospital and maybe an elderly uh, a client um we have to make sure that there's no issues with dementia, Alzheimer's, there's no cognitive um, issues. 
the, the threshold for testamentary capacity is different than the threshold for, let's say, for making financial decisions, okay? The threshold for testamentary capacity is that they have what to know the mean? nature. What does that mean, Gina, testamentary? So it means um, somebody can have, let's, let, let's say they can have the beginnings of Alzheimer's or the beginnings of dementia, but still be able to execute their documents. Uh, they can have, as long as they know who their family is and what they have, what their stuff is generally, then we can determine, we can make that determination that they have capacity and they have the ability to exercise um, their wishes and to tell me what those wishes are and we can prepare their documents. In a situation where we have a non-traditional family or we have the possibility of somebody um, contesting the, the documents, it's usually best to have that done in person uh, with all of the witnesses present uh, and by witnesses present, not family members. So it would have to be me and the individual that wants to make whatever change or whatever wishes they have. Let's say, you know, Spencer wants to leave Nori out of his will completely. Then um, I would need to sit down with Spencer and make sure that he's okay in the head because why would he want to leave Nori out? No. But those are the things that I would need to do. And I would make sure that when I'm sitting with you, Sarah's not in the room saying, hey, dad, remember, we're leaving Nori out. Right. You know, uh, so those are the types of situations that it's a little more difficult now. If you have a, um, I guess, a non-traditional or you want to leave somebody out and, um, you know, you have to be aware of what your possible hurdles will be in the future and inform the client, obviously, you know, that this could be a problem and this is how we try to resolve it. See, Gina, I think the services and your area of expertise is needed now more than ever because people are sitting home right now are healthy one day and the next day, you know, themselves or a loved one or both are in an intensive care. Uh, it's such a non-discriminatory, you know, it affects everyone from every profession, from every walk of life. Um, someone sitting at home right now watching this podcast and has nothing, no, no, no documents at all. They call you and, and, and how do you go about getting it? How long does it take to get these documents prepared and finalized and in place? Okay. So it depends a little bit on the complexity of the situation. Uh, you know, this, each scenario is different as you know, fact patterns on any case are different, but the, uh, every family is, is different. So it depends on what their specific wishes are. It can be done anywhere from, you know, if we have a true emergency situation and we need to get it done, let's say that they feel that they're deteriorating and they need to go to the hospital and we want to get it done before they go to the hospital, we can get it turned around in a couple of days. As long as, you know, I'm able to have the Zoom conference with them. I send them the documents beforehand. They review everything. We would have to send it either by email or, um, uh, FedEx or priority mail so that they have it right away um, and make sure that they uh, understand what's in the documents, have an opportunity to ask me questions. And then at that point, what I do is I um, draft everything and make sure that the signature pages is for the witnesses. Everybody has a separate page and we will then go um, and meet with the client either at their home or at my office in the parking uh, area and we will have the client stay in their car with the copy of the documents that we've emailed over to them. That's great. And I will have the witnesses come out 
uh, everybody's wearing masks. The witnesses have come out with masks. The envelope that if, if anything needs to be handed to the client, everything will have been pre-printed and picked up with gloves. Uh, we will have masks on and um, the, the conversation is gonna be mostly over the phone. We'll speak with the client. I'll see them in the car. Everybody will be there and we will be talking. We'll have them on speaker so that the witnesses can also see them. And we are able to execute these documents which require to be signed in the presence of two witnesses. Now there's something else that's called a self-proving affidavit. It's not required, but if you don't have that later, the witnesses have to go to court and do an oath of witness to will. So what I'd like to do is at the same time, we do something called a self-proving affidavit. So I make sure that I have a notary present. So there's a notary, two witnesses, and the testator or the uh, trustee, uh, grantor, settler, uh, so that we can make sure that all of the documents are executed according to law and we have minimized any ability for anybody to say that it's invalid due to the execution protocol. Um, yeah. Florida is very specific with that. I remember from law school, it was the last time I dealt with this, that, you know, case after case in probate and estate class where people had executed wills that were not in accordance with Florida law and, you know, their needs and their, their desires weren't met, their, their family members weren't taken care of correctly. So I, I think it's super important now more than ever to have this stuff in place, but also, if not more important, to make sure it's done right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can't, you know, I, I know some people are, there's been discussions, well, can we do a Zoom call and notarize it over Zoom? No, you can't. In Florida, unfortunately, online notarization of wills is not available until July 1st. Oh. Uh, after July 1st, we will be able to do that uh, with certain restrictions, depending on a situation, if it's what we call a vulnerable adult. So somebody that either, either suffers the infirmities of aging or um, if, if there's any concern whatsoever that that will would be contested, I would not do it as an online uh, notary, you know, an online will at that point. Remote online notarization is allowed in Florida, but not for wills and trust type documents until after July 1st. So that's an important distinction. Yeah, it is. Gina, are you able to tell us how much a basic will would cost somebody? Um, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but just to give people an idea of what, we're look, what they're looking at in terms of cost. Well, it, it depends on what the scenario is. It's usually, and I don't usually just do a will. I usually do a will, maybe a durable power of attorney, a healthcare surrogate, a designation of healthcare surrogate, a living will, which gives your last wishes for uh, if, you're, if you have a terminal disease or an end-stage disease, how you want to be treated. Um, and as well, a uh, designation of pre-need guardian. So I do that kind of as a package because I think that protects the client much more than just doing a will because you need to also be protected in life. And by doing all of these other things, you can avoid a guardianship if you know, somebody loses capacity or um, they need uh, someone to make healthcare decisions for them and the, for whatever reason, the doctor or the hospital does not want to listen to the person that's with the patient right. or... Uh, so that, those are the reasons that we prepare that. And then I uh, usually, it, it ranges anywhere from about 1,000 to 1,500, um, depending on the scenario. Is that and per person, we can, per family? It's per person, usually. Um, if, we're, if I'm doing like spouses at the same time, then I will, uh, you know, I can give a discounted uh, price, you know, depending on 
if everybody's stuff is pretty much the same and we're doing generally the same thing and you know the meeting is held basically there's a, a the, the meetings are held uh, almost simultaneously then we can certainly you know reduce a little bit there when we're doing joint documents Do you take credit cards or PayPal or anything like that absolutely we take uh, credit cards we take wires we take cash app we take all of that stuff so listen I think it's fantastic what you're doing what I've done without getting your permission uh, is we've offered people a free consultation with you uh, if they're in Florida absolutely uh, all they have to do is contact you and uh, mention the podcast and uh, I guess this would be limited to Florida citizens and residents because uh, do you know yes. outside of Florida so I uh, know I'm only admitted to practice in Florida for these types of things I'm admitted federally for other things but for probate and uh, estates that's very state specific and you need somebody that is familiar with your state laws because it's not just being a wills and trust attorney you have to understand how certain other things affect it so for example if you have a homestead property you can't um you you can't will that away from a spouse or a minor child what are the effects if you do that um and who you know what are the rights of, of the other individuals sometimes people try to do that with deeds they try to add people to deeds not realizing that you know they're deeding a property away from a spouse or a minor child and you can't do that in florida so you create more problems which is why it's important if so to know your state if someone calls you gina from kansas will you be able to assist them in finding a reputable uh probate and estate lawyer in that state well i do have a very good network of probate right. and estate attorneys all over the united states um, and actually even in some other foreign countries so if they can't find someone locally, I'm happy to try and find them someone okay. or try and give them a couple recommendations. So what's the best way for people seeing this to reach you easily and efficiently? They can call my office. It's 305-974-1490. Or they can email me at Gina, G-I-N-A, at Chevalier Law, C-H, E V A L L I E R L A W dot com. Beautiful. And Nora, you'll have all that stuff printed out and links below and things like that. Gina, God bless you. Please stay safe. We love you and we appreciate so much what you're doing for our community. Same to you all. Happy Passover. Happy uh, Easter for all the, your audience and everyone who's watching. Yes. And um, everybody stay safe. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Nora. Thank you. All right. All right, be well. Thank you.